Chapter Nine of My Trip Abroad by Charlie Chaplin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine I Meet the Immortals. Here are more extracts from the mountain of mail awaiting me at the hotel. Wishes Mr. Chaplin a hearty welcome and begs to give him the honor of shaving him on Sunday, September 11th, any time which he thinks suitable. A West End moneylender has forwarded his business card, which states, Should you require temporary cash accommodation, I am prepared to advance you 50 pounds to 10,000 pounds on note of hand alone, without fees or delay all communications strictly private and confidential a man living in lexington street golden square west writes my son in the endeavor to get a flower thrown by you from the ritz hotel lost his hat the bill for which i enclose seven shillings and six pence a liverpool scalp specialist gathers that Mr. Chaplin is much concerned regarding the appearance of gray hairs on his head. I claim to be, he adds, the only man in Britain who can and does restore the color of gray hair. You may visit Liverpool, and if you will call, I shall be pleased to examine your scalp and give you a candid opinion. If nothing can be done, I will state so frankly is there any chance writes mrs violet payne of eight angel road brixton of you requiring for your films the services of twin small boys nearly four years old and nearly indistinguishable an american agent has recently been in this neighborhood and secured a contract with two such small girls twins which points to at least a demand for such un-American films. A widow of sixty-two writes, I have a half-dozen China tea set of the late Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee, and it occurred to me that you might like to possess it. If you would call or allow me to take it anywhere for you to see, I would gladly do so. I have had it twenty-four years and would like to raise money on it a south london picture dealer writes if ever you should be passing this way when you are taking your quiet strolls around london i would like you to drop in and see a picture that i think might interest you it is the strand by night painted by arthur grimshaw in 1887 I hope you won't think I have taken too much of a liberty, but I knew your mother when I was in Kate Paradise's troupe, and I think she would remember me if ever you were to mention Clara Simmons of that troupe. It is a little link with the past. Dear old friend, some months ago I wrote to you, <laughs> and no doubt you will remember me. I was in Casey's court and as you know we had mr murray for our boss you have indeed got on well 
I myself have only come home this month from being in Turkey for eight years. <laughs> Dear old boy, I should like to see you when you come to London. That is, if you do not mind mixing with one of the Casey's court urchins. A Billingshurst Sussex mother writes, Would you grant a few moments' interview to a little girl of nine, small for her years, whom I am anxious to start on the films? She has much in her favor, being not only bright and clever, but unusually attractive in appearance, receiving unlimited attention wherever she goes, as she is really quite out of the ordinary. A disengaged actress writes, if you should take a film in England, it would be a great kindness to employ some of the hundreds of actresses out of work now, and with no prospects of getting any. A walk-on would be a very welcome change to many of us, to say nothing of a part. A Bridgewater resident, owning a near six-cylinder car, writes, a friend of mine has a very old-time spot right here in Somerset, with the peacocks wandering across the well-kept grounds and three lovely trout ponds, where last night I brought home five very fine rainbow trout, each weighing about one and a half pounds. You will be tired of the crowds. Slip away down to me and I will give you ten days or more of the best time you can get. There will be no side or style, and your old clothes will be the thing. My husband and I should consider it an honor if during your visit to South London you would call and take a homely cup of tea with us. I read in the paper of your intention to stay at an old-fashioned inn, and should like to recommend the White Horse Inn at Sheen, which, I believe, is the oldest in Surrey. It certainly corresponds with your ideal. Welcome to your home town. Jean D. Deschamps. When you are really tired of the rush of London, there is a very nice place called Seaford, not very far from London, just a small place where you can have a real rest, no dressing up, etc., and then fishing, golf, and tennis, if you care for the same. You could put up at the hotel or here. There will be no one to worry you. Don't forget to drop us a line. Yours sincerely, E.M.W. A London club man, in offering hospitality, says, I do not know you, you do not know me, and probably don't want to. But just think it over and come and have a bit of lunch with me one day. This between ourselves, no publicity. St. Pancras Municipal Officers Swimming Club would be greatly honored by your presiding at our annual swimming gala to be held at the St. Pancras Public Baths. Dorothy Cochran, Upper North Street, Poplar, asks, Dear Mr. Charlie Chaplin, 
if you have a pair of old boots at home will you throw them at me for luck an aspirant for the position of secretary writes i am a musical comedy artist by profession but am at present out of work i am six feet two inches in height and twenty-seven years of age if there is any capacity in which you can use my services i shall be very thankful hoping you will have an enjoyable stay in your home country a barnes man writes if you have time we should be very proud if you could spare an afternoon to come to tea we should love to give you a real old-fashioned scotch tea if you would care to come we know you will be feted and everyone will want you but if you feel tired and want a wee rest come out quickly to us if it wasn't for your dear funny ways on the screen during the war we would all have gone under dear charles writes an eleven-year-old i'd like to meet you very very much i'd like to meet you just to say thank you for all the times you've cheered me up when i felt down and miserable i've never met you and i don't suppose i ever will but you will always be my friend and helper i'd love your photograph signed by you are you likely to come to harrowgate i wish you would perhaps you could come and see me couldn't you try oh i wish i could read them all for in every one there is a human feeling and i wish it were possible that i could accept some of the invitations especially those inviting me to quietness and solitude but there are thousands too many most of them will have to be answered by my secretaries but all of them will be answered and we are taking trunkfuls of the letters back to california in order that as many of the requests as possible shall receive attention during the afternoon there came donald crisp tom garrity and the bunch and before long my apartment in the london ritz might just as well be home in los angeles i realize that i am getting nowhere meeting nobody and still playing in hollywood i have traveled six thousand miles and find i have not shaken the dust of hollywood from my shoes <laughs> i resent this i tell noblock i must meet other people besides garrity and the hollywood bunch i have seen as much as i want to see of it now i want to meet people noblock smiles but he is too kind to remind me of my retreat before the nameplate of bernard shaw he and i go shopping and i am measured for some clothes then to lunch with e v lucas lucas is the editor of punch england's foremost humorous publication a very charming man sympathetic and sincere he has written a number of very good novels it is arranged to give me a party that night at the garrick club 
After luncheon, we visit Stoll's Theater, where Shoulder Arms and Mary Pickford's picture Suds are being shown. This is my first experience in an English cinema. The Opera House is one that was built by Steinhaus and then turned into a movie theater. It is strange and odd to see the English audience drinking tea and eating pastry while watching the performance. I find very little difference in their appreciation of the picture. All the points get over just the same as in America. I get out without being recognized and am very thankful for that. Back to the hotel and rest for the evening before my dinner at the Garrick Club. The thought of dining at the Garrick Club brought up before me the mental picture that I have always carried of that famous old meeting place in London, where art is most dignified. And the club itself realized my picture to the fullest. Tradition and custom are so deep-rooted there that I believe its routine would go on through sheer mechanics of spirit, even if its various employees should forget to show up some day. The corners seem almost peopled with the ghosts of Henry Irving and his comrades. There is one end of the gloomy old room, is a chair in which David Garrick himself sat. All those at the dinner were well known in art circles. E. V. Lucas, Walter Hackett, George Frampton, J. M. Barry, Herbert Hamill, Edward Knobloch, Harry Graham, N. Nicholas, Nicholas D. Davies, Squire Bancroft, and a number of others whose names I do not remember. What an interesting character is Squire Bancroft. I am told that he is England's oldest living actor, and he is now retired. He does not look as though he should retire. I am late, and that adds to an embarrassment which started as soon as I knew I was to meet Barry and so many other famous people. Hmm. There is Barry. He is pointed out to me just about the time I recognize him myself. This is my primary reason for coming, to meet Barry. He is a small man with a dark mustache and a deeply marked, sad face, with heavily shadowed eyes. But I detect lines of humor lurking around his mouth. <laughs> Cynical? Not exactly. I catch his eye and make motions for us to sit together, and then find that the party had been planned that way anyhow. There is the inevitable hush for introductions. How I hate it. Names are the bane of my existence. Personalities, that's the thing. But everyone seems jovial except Barry. His eyes look tired and sad, but he brightens as though all along there had been that hidden smile behind the mask. I wonder if they are all friendly toward me, or if I am just the curiosity of the moment. 
there is an embarrassing pause after we have filed into the dining room which e v lucas breaks gentlemen be seated i felt almost like a minstrel man and the guests took their seats as simultaneously as though rehearsed for it i feel very uncomfortable mentally i cough what shall i say to barry why hadn't i given it some thought i am aware that squire bancroft is seated at my other side i feel as though i am in a vice with its jaws closing as the clock ticks why did i come the atmosphere is so heavy yet i am sure they all feel most hospitable towards me i steal a look at squire bancroft the old tragedian looks every bit the eminent old-school actor the dignity and tradition of the english stage is written into every line in his face i remember nicholson having said that the squire would not go to a movie that he regarded his stand as a principle then why is he here he is going to be difficult i fear he breaks the ice with the announcement that he had been to a movie that day coming from him that is almost a shock mr chaplin the reading of the letter in shoulder arms was the high spot of the picture this serious consideration from the man who would not go to the movies i wanted to kiss him then i learned that he had told everyone not to say anything about his not having been to a movie for fear that it would offend me he leans over and whispers his age and tells me he is the oldest member of the club he doesn't look within ten years of his age i find myself muttering inanities in answering him then barry tells me that he is looking for someone to play peter pan and says he wants me to play it he bowls me over completely to think that i was avoiding and afraid to meet such a man but i am afraid to discuss it with him seriously am on my guard because he may decide that i know nothing about it and change his mind just imagine barry has asked me to play peter pan it is too big and grand to risk spoiling it by some chance witless observation so i changed the subject and let this golden opportunity pass i have failed completely in my first skirmish with barry there are labored jokes going the rounds of the table and everyone seems to feel conscious of some duty that is resting on his shoulders ungracefully one ruddy gentleman whose occupation is a most serious one i am told that of building a giant memorial in whitehall to the dead of the late war is reacting to the situation most flippantly his conversation which has risen to a pitch of almost hysterical volume is most ridiculously comic 
he is a delightful buffoon everyone is laughing at his chatter but nothing seems to be penetrating my stupidity though i am carrying with me a wide mechanical grin which i broaden and narrow with the nuances of the table laughing i feel utterly out of the picture that i don't belong that there must be something significant in the badinage that is bandied about the board barry is speaking again about moving pictures i must understand i summon all of my scattered faculties to bear upon what he is saying what a peculiarly shaped head he has he is speaking of the kid and i feel that he is trying to flatter me but how he does it he is criticizing the picture he is most severe he declares that the heaven scene was entirely unnecessary and why did i give it so much attention and why so much of the mother in the picture and why the meeting of the mother and the father all of these things he is discussing analytically and profoundly so much so that i find that my feeling of self-consciousness is rapidly leaving me I find myself giving my side of the argument without hesitation, because I am not so sure that Barry is right. And I had reasons, good reasons, for wanting all those things in the picture. But I am thrilled at his interest and appreciation, and it is borne upon me that, by discussing dramatic construction with me, he is paying a very gracious and subtle compliment. It is sweet of him. It relieves me of the last vestige of my embarrassment. But, Sir James, I am saying, I cannot agree with you. Imagine the metamorphosis. And so our discussion continues easily and pleasantly. I am aware of his age as he talks, and I get more of his spirit of whimsicality. The food is being served and i find that e v lucas has provided a treacle pudding a particular weakness of mine to which i do justice i am wondering if barry resents age he who is so youthful in spirit there seems to be lots of fun in the general buffoonery that is going on around the table but despite all efforts to the contrary i am serving a diet of silence i feel very colorless that the whole conversation that is being shouted is colorless i am a good audience i laugh at anything and dare not speak why can't i be witty are they trying to draw me out is it phony maybe i am wrong and there is a purpose behind this buffoonery but I hardly know whether to retaliate in kind or just grin. I am dying for something to happen. Lucas is rising. We all feel the tension. Why are parties like that? It ends. Barry is whispering. Let's go to my apartment for a drink and a quiet talk. 
and I begin to feel that things are most worthwhile. Noblock and I walk with him to Adelphia Terrace, where his apartment overlooks the Thames Embankment. Somehow this apartment seems just like him, but I cannot convey the resemblance in a description of it. The first thing you see is a writing desk in a huge room beautifully furnished and with dark wood paneling. Simplicity and comfort are written everywhere. There is a large Dutch fireplace in the right side of the room, but the outstanding piece of furniture is a tiny kitchen stove in one corner. It is polished to such a point that it takes the aspect of the ornamental rather than the useful. He explains that on this he makes his tea when servants are away. Such a touch, perhaps, just the touch to suggest Barry. Our talk drifts to the movies, and Barry tells me of the plans for filming Peter Pan. We are on very friendly ground in this discussion, and I find myself giving Barry ideas for plays while he is giving me ideas for movies, many of them suggestions that I can use in comedies. It is a great chat-fest. There is a knock at the door. Gerard du Maurier is calling. He is one of England's greatest actors and the son of the man who wrote Trilby. Our party lasts far into the night, until about three in the morning. I notice that Barry looks rather tired and worn, so we leave. Walking with du Maurier up the strand, he tells us that Barry is not himself since his nephew was drowned, that he has aged considerably. We walk slowly back to the hotel and to bed. Next day there is a card from Bruce Barnes' father, England's famous cartoonist, whose work during the war brought him international success, inviting me to tea. He carries me out into the country, where I have a lovely time. His wife tells me that he is just a bundle of nerves, and that he never knows when to stop working. I ask what H.G. Wells is like, and Bruce tells me that he is like Wells, and no one else. When I get back to the hotel, there is a letter from Wells. Do come over. I've just discovered that you are in town. Do you want to meet Shaw? He is really very charming out of the limelight. I suppose you are overwhelmed with invitations. But if there is a chance to get hold of you for a talk, I will be charmed. How about a weekend with me at Easton? Free from publicity and with harmless human people. No phones in the house. I lost no time in accepting such an invitation. There is a big luncheon party on among my friends, and I am told that a party has been arranged to go through the Limehouse district with Thomas Burke, who wrote Limehouse Nights. I resent it exceedingly and refuse to go with a crowd to meet Burke 
I revolt against the constant crowding. I hate crowds. London and its experiences are telling on me, and I am nervous and unstrung. I must see Burke and go with him alone. He is the one man who sees London through the same kind of glasses as myself. I am told that Burke will be disappointing because he is so silent, but I do not believe that I will be disappointed in him. Robinson tells the crowd of my feelings and how much I have planned on this night alone with Burke and the party is called off. We phone Burke, and I make an engagement to meet him at his house that evening at ten o'clock. We are to spend the night together in Limehouse. <laughs> what a prospect! That night I was at Thomas Burke's ahead of time. That prospect of a night spent in the Limehouse district with the author of Limehouse Nights was as alluring as Christmas morning to a child. Burke is so different from what I expected. Limehouse Nights had led me to look for someone physically, as well as mentally, big. Though I had always pictured him as mild-mannered and tremendously human and sympathetic. I notice even as we are introduced that Burke looks tired. And it is hard to think that this little man with the thin peaked face and sensitive features is the same one who has blazed into literature such elemental lusts, passions, and emotions as characterize his short stories. I am told that he doesn't give out much. I wonder just who he is like. He is very curious doesn't seem to be noticing anything that goes on about him. He just sits with his arms to his face, leaning on his hand and gazing into the fire. As he sits there, apparently unperturbed and indifferent, I am warming up to him considerably. I feel a sort of master of the situation. It's a comfortable feeling. Is his reticence real, or is this some wonderful trick of his, this making his guest feel superior? His tired-looking, sensitive eyes at first seem rather severe and serious, but suddenly I am aware of something keen, quick, and twinkling in them. His wife has arrived. A very young lady of great charm who makes you feel instantly her artistic capabilities even in ordinary conversation shortly after his wife comes in burke and i leave i feel very much the tourist in the hands of the super city guide what where anything particular that i want to see this rather scares me but I take it as a challenge and make up my mind that I will know him. He is difficult, and somehow I don't believe that he cares for movie actors. Maybe I am only possible copy to him. He seems to be doing me a kindness, and I find myself feeling rather stiff 
and on my best behavior but i resolve that before the evening is through i will make him open up and like me for i am sure that his interest is well worth while i have nothing to suggest except that we ramble along with nothing deliberate in view i feel that this pleases him for a light of interest comes into his eyes chasing one of responsibility we are just going to stroll along end of chapter nine